Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1986 Tarkovsky film, The Sacrifice. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks. Uh, Barrett, this is quite a movie. <laughs> uh, I will say I, I watched this with my daughter and she was such a trooper. Um, and, but I will say part of my experience watching it was shaped by the fact that I could tell she was struggling with it. And mm-hmm. and so so I almost like I love the fact that she stuck with it. There was a point in the middle where we paused because I was doing laundry and I needed to switch loads, and uh, and we t- we were able to talk a little bit about the movie. But but the whole at the whole time I was also I was thinking a little bit about her experience of it. And we talked about it afterwards. And for her, she was like, I think I got the ideas, but this one's not for me. But mm-hmm. it didn't turn her off from foreign films it didn't turn her off from the video store project but she was just like yep this one i don't think was was for me and maybe at, at a different point in her life uh it will be so uh barrett what is your history with this film and with tarkovsky because i know he's one of your favorites right yeah so my history with tarkovsky is um i don't know when i first heard about or read about tarkovsky but Maybe it was when there was a reissue of Andre Rubeloff, or maybe it was I saw Andre Rubeloff down at Oak Street Cinema back in, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years ago, when that's where the uh, Minneapolis Film Society showed its films. And I think that must have been the issue. I think it must have been because this new print had come out of Andre Rubeloff, which famously exists in about three different versions. Um, so that was my first experience of Tarkovsky. That's his longest film. One version of Andre runs a little over three hours. I think the version right now in Criterion is about three hours and two minutes. And I was just fascinated by the, um, I don't know, just, just by the technique, by some of the ideas, the ideas that, you know, cinema for Tarkovsky is a place for kind of contemplation um and and it just to me it's a different kind of cinematic world from almost any other director so the other way in which i was familiar with tarkovsky and i don't know if this preceded or was after andre rubeloff was when steven soderbergh remade solaris with george with uh, george clooney several years ago and that is the remake is of um tarkovsky 71 film and i had also read comparisons between tarkovsky solaris and kubrick's 2001 um because Kubrick's not one of my favorite directors, but most people said, oh, Solaris is a much better film uh, in some ways. So after that, I've become close to a um, Tarkovsky completist. I haven't watched Nostalgia. That's the only one that I haven't seen. And uh, I think I may have mentioned it's at one point that my daughter considers Stalker the worst movie ever made. Um, and it's one of my favorites. And it's one of the three Tarkovsky films on the top 100 for the BFI film list. Yeah, I will say I... I didn't realize I was familiar with Tarkovsky, but I remember in it was 2002, I think is when the Soderbergh Solaris came out and I remember somebody recommending it and I couldn't, I can't remember if they recommended the Soderbergh movie or they recommended the Tarkovsky movie, but I have this memory of being home one day alone and it was Solaris came on the independent film channel. Now, what I can't remember is that I see, and I only saw part of it because something came up and I had to leave. And this was pre-DVR. I can't remember if I saw part of the Soderbergh Solaris or part of the Tarkovsky Solaris. But I know I watched part of it. And I had, I it, it, I maybe only saw 15 or 20 minutes. But I had sort of the 
the same 2001 excitement about like, oh, this is a long space movie. Let's settle into this. Um, so it's a, that's a movie I definitely should go back and see uh, because I know that um, Tarkovsky doesn't seem like he was a big fan of 2001. But but I, I think those things in conversation with each other uh, seem like they would be really interesting. So a question I have about Tarkovsky what makes a Tarkovsky film a Tarkovsky film and is the sacrifice representative of that? Yeah, I think one of the things that makes a Tarkovsky film a Tarkovsky film is um, long takes, um, both in terms of distance and length of time. I, as, as I said last week, he's kind of a considered an early practitioner of slow cinema. Uh, and Tarkovsky's uh, writing about his own cinematic art is called Sculpting in Time. And one of the things that Tarkovsky wanted viewers to experience is time as it actually unfolds. And that's the part of his filmmaking that can test the viewer's patience. Um, sometimes the pace is languorous and, and, and enjoyable, and sometimes you want to say, just get on with it. So you don't see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, editing in his films, you know. So things. So there's that. I think there's um, there's a, often a gorgeousness about his color photography, and you get that in the opening scenes of the sacrifice. That those grass is so beautifully green, but then there's also times when he loves to desaturate the film, and you get those scenes that are they're not black and white. They're color that's been desaturated. Uh, and that's part of another element of, of, of a Tarkovsky film, which is the dreamlike uh, connections or uh, the juxtapositions of reality and images that you don't quite know how to account for. You know, towards the end of the scene, towards the end of the film, what is that scene with um, the naked daughter running down a hallway chasing a chicken? It, 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 it's not. It's not explicable. Um, another thing is very typical of at least three of Tarkovsky's films is levitation. Um, so the scene where Alexander levitates with Maria during the lovemaking, that's uh, repeated in Mirror. It also appears in Solaris as well. And it's another way in which Tarkovsky is trying to suggest a world beyond uh, the, nat the natural world. And then I, I think another element of Tarkovsky film, whether it's, whether, it's whether it's there discursively as part of the dialogue, as it really is in The Sacrifice, or whether it's sort of part of the image of the film or the theme of the film, is he's really into heavy philosophical questions. Um, and so I think, you know, The Sacrifice has that as well. Um, and even though it's set in Sweden and it's shot by Sven Nyqvist, Bergman's um, preferred cinematographer, I still think for those reasons it has very much kind of the look of, the, of, a, of a Tarkovsky film. Well, wow, that was a great answer because you just like laid out a roadmap for all the things I want to talk about because everything you mentioned I have in my notes. Uh, so so we're gonna we're gonna circle back to a lot of those things. Um, my initial impression um, as I was watching this was one of the things you mentioned, which is wide shots and long takes. I was mesmerized that this movie opens with it's probably not that long, but it feels like it's a half an hour long take. Mm -hmm. Uh, where, where they're planting the tree and they're talking and then Otto comes up and then they sort of walk through this field and Otto just sort of kind of want, he stays on the bike, but is kind of not riding his bike. And they have this long philosophical conversation and I rarely do this, but I turned to my daughter and I said, there hasn't been a cut yet. It's like, this is, this is all one yeah. really, really long take. And obviously there's, there are other, uh, there are other scenes in this movie where 
yeah, I heard, I was reading something and somebody talked about how much, and they were saying this as a positive, like there are elements of it that feel like a stage play because you don't have those cuts because you, instead you're, the camera is your eyes and you're moving with these characters across this landscape or through this house, but there's never a cut as they even move from what seems to be room to room. It's like, it's, it's all, it, it, it's all. And I know it's not all one long cut, but you could have told me that. And I would have said, I would have believed you because it, he doesn't, he definitely doesn't do a lot of those cuts. The other thing that, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say the, I agree. But the, the other thing that is interesting to me about those first minute, the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film is that if you notice he goes from long to medium and then after about maybe maybe it's a half an hour in that you get a close-up i just i just love the way he slowly moves because for a while you're like i'm not going to know who these people are because they're so far away from the camera uh but then and then i think the first close-up is on alexander's alexander's face the other thing i'm going to say is when i see the house on the outside i feel like it's a tardis I feel like it's so much bigger on the inside than it looks like from the outside. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's funny you said that about about the slow move towards close-up because I had the exact same thought, which is I don't know what Alexander looks like. And I realized it was it was pretty long into the film. And but then I realized by the end of the film, like I actually get a lot of close-ups of his face, but he doesn't start there, you know. Um, and I, I really love that. The other rabbit hole I went down as I was preparing for this, um, was I I was trying to look up some things that that he said because there's so this is such a for it being a movie that's very slow and often very silent there's a lot said this is quite a script so I I, I one of the rabbit holes is I found a copy of the script and I started reading that and I realized if I I can't do that because if I go too far into that I'm basically going to rewatch the movie um, as I'm preparing for this it's a great script it's I mean this is. Uh, for somebody who likes philosophy and movies, this seems like a deeply quotable, uh, quotable script. There's so many things that just sort of get said that are deeply profound. And, and it's, and it's multiple characters having these conversations, which feels both unreal because like who talks like that, but again, it also feels very, it feels very believable thinking about these characters and thinking about the situations they're in. So, um, so I, I I I recommend to somebody if you liked this movie, like go find the script online and just sort of because because some of the things happen like they get said in such dense conversation that I there were things that I I remember hearing but they didn't land with me because then the next thing he says is also as profound. So uh, yeah, I, I I thought the script to this movie was amazing. Well, I have to admit, it took me uh, longer than the movie to, to watch the movie because I kept pausing it to take notes because there's so, there was so, in fact, I wish I had time to watch it again just to let it roll uh, without having to worry about keeping track of all the stuff I wanted to keep track of. There's one other element that's typical of Tarkovsky that I should have mentioned, though, Sam, and that we may talk about this later, and that is the, uh, the reference to art. So both the, um, the credits playing over uh, Leonardo's Adoration of the Christ which gets a lot of comment later in the film as well. Uh, and then um, Alexander looking at the, at the icons. Um, that, though, those images to me are very reminiscent of what he does in Andrei Rubilov. Andrei Rubilov famously is black and white for almost three hours. And then the last 15 minutes is just a montage of brilliant color uh, of the icons that Andrei Rubilov has painted. And so it's almost as though he's doing that in reverse uh, in in this film, so he lo he loves to just 
have the viewer kind of take in these images and, and contemplate them. Yeah, I mean, I would say also I wished I could have watched this a second time because uh, the because I I don't take notes the first time I watch it. I just sort of let it kind of wash over me, and I say, okay, well, I'll. I'll I'll go read about it afterwards and I'll sort of put together my thoughts, but I would love to watch the first half again, especially. Um, and, and, and I will say the art was something that jumped out at me because it was one of those things where I'm like, Oh, this feels very significant, but I don't know what I, I don't know what to do with it in the moment. Um, so this, as much as this is a, a, a long, slow movie. And I actually felt better reading reviews about people who love this movie. And even they were saying, it's kind of a tough watch. Like, like it's, it's, it's not, um, Tarkovsky's not necessarily or, or, or deeply not concerned about like entertaining you in this movie. I, I actually find it. I, I, I find this entertaining to watch in a kind of way. Cause I thought it's like, like reading a great book that can ask complicated, difficult questions. Like I get a lot of joy from that, I guess joy, but maybe not entertainment. Um, so, so I don't know that I, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to carve out the two and a half hours to watch it again, but I definitely want to, cause there's so much I want to unpack. Well, it, it is a film that in some ways is um, more admired uh, than perhaps enjoyed. Uh, I read one review that basically said it's, it's, it's brilliant and unwatchable. Um, uh, I also love the way that Richard Corliss, reviewing it in time, he says it's like ducking out of it. Moving from Hollywood films to this film, he says it's like ducking out of a carnival to visit a medieval crypt, um, which... He intends it to be um, complimentary, but you kind of get what he what he's going for. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, an, another uh, visual thing that I that I noticed, and you mentioned this, was the the difference between the bright exteriors at the open and close of the movie. Now, and part of this was was compounded by the fact that we watched this we we watched this on the big projector at my house but we watched it during the day so there was a little bit more light in the room like sunlight yeah. than there normally would have been and there are parts in the middle of this movie where it's like there was almost nothing on the screen mm. i mean i could see, i could see the text really bright and then you could, so i also kind of want to see this in a more ideal setting um, because like you would just get like a little the streams of light that were you know, coming in through the the sunlight or the moonlight in that house, but it's very, very dark. And the DP said that they they took out about sixty percent of the color uh, yeah. when you get to those interiors. Mm -hmm. But there's, like you said, there's this explosion of color in the beginning of the movie. My my initial thought was, wow, this is a gorgeous movie. When I when mm -hmm. they were planting that tree and going through that field, I was like, we are in for this bright, colorful thing. And then it was like, no, we're not. In fact, <laughs> but then at the end, you get that again, that ending long shot with the house burning which a second time in during this movie i said to my daughter this is all one take and like they had to get that house to fall at the i mean so it's a long take with a lot of action and the cameras moving a lot back and forth at a distance but moving back and forth and then it ends with this big thing happening and i i just was thinking about the production of that like wow they had to pull this off to have that house collapse at the end of this I don't know if it's like 11 minutes long, this, you know, this, this long take. And, and in fact, the first time they did it, it didn't work and they had to redo it. Uh, and he only had, he only had one camera going for that shot and that camera jammed, I think. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and the DP was not happy that they, that, that Tarkovsky was like, just use one camera. So the yeah. second time they had two. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Sven Nyquist said it was sometimes a bit irritating to work with, uh, to work with. Uh, Tarkovsky, but he was glad he did. He turned down uh, Sidney Pollock's out of Africa 
in order to shoot this film. Um, I want to get into some of the the themes of this movie because it's one of the things that I I loved about this was how much because it's talky at the beginning, it's not hiding what it's about. Yeah. Um, but it's like it it does this nice move of let's talk about something, and then the second half is there's a lot less talking and a lot more showing or a lot more like experiencing some of those ideas kind of uh, played out uh, in in a particular kind of way. So. Um, I'm just going to throw out some themes and uh, curious your thoughts on. So one of the big ones um, that runs throughout this is thinking about sort of the notion of the relationship with God, relationship with the divine. I mean, at the beginning, Alexander describes his relationship as non-existent. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we see his sort of prayer in this crisis Mm -hmm. moment. Um, And then I I found it so interesting at the end. It's like he, he is kind of taking the promises he makes in that prayer very seriously. Like it was, that was a moment when he was praying that prayer, my, my brain clicked on to be like, pay attention to what he's saying and what he's promising. Cause I did know this movie's called the sacrifice. Yeah. So I was like, where's the sacrifice going to be? And there's lots of things we could point to. But at that moment I was like, okay, catalog in your head, the things that he's saying, because at the end, he doesn't explicitly go back and say it, but he, but those are some of those things that he is um, kind of trying to deliver on as the, you know, the, the threat of the end of the world seems to have gone away. Well, yeah, I can tell you some of the things he says, Sam, he says um, uh, to, to God, he says, I'll give thee all I have. I'll give up my family whom my love. I'll destroy my home, give up little man. And then significantly I'll be mute and never speak another word to anyone. And, you know, of course, this is a guy, he's an actor, former actor, who gave up acting because um, a couple of reasons. And one he gives is he he didn't want to let his uh, ego kind of uh, be dissolved into the character he was playing. And he was concerned about whether he was being honest on stage or not. But then early on in that opening monologue, right, he says, uh, he says, words, 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 quoting, quote, quoting Hamlet. So he basically decides that he will he will give up everything. And it's interesting to me that having said words, 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 and lapsing into silence, which, by the way, was one of the spiritual disciplines he identified in Gandhi, that Gandhi didn't speak one, one day a week. And then, of course, the, the, closing, the closing line of, of, the, of the film is Little Man saying, in the beginning was the word, why is that, Papa? So, that, so there's a really interesting juxtaposition there of silence and the word, as though human, hu- human words have to fail or fall silent in in the face of the of, of the word of the word of God, and and I, and I and I have to get in here a quote from Tarkovsky himself, and I realize that D. H. Lawrence said always trust the t- tale, not the teller. So when artists speak of their own work, I'm not sure they necessarily have any more authority than those of us who experience the art. But Tarkovsky did say in in his book Sculpting in Time that the allotted function of art is to prepare a person for death, to plow and harrow his soul, rendering it capable of turning to good. And I think that's what he's trying to dramatize in the character of Alexander. Well, and I thought about in that prayer, um, one of the things that's really powerful in this movie is one of the things he says in the prayer, as you point out, is that he'll give up little man. And then when he wakes up, little man is nowhere to be seen. And and I mean, I, 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 it makes you think about Isaac and the sacrifice that way. Yeah. And it's like, is, is that so? So 
and and again, it, they don't say it, but they show his, they show little man's bed and that he's not there, and everybody's doing whatever they're doing that morning, and no, and nobody knows where he is, but also nobody's particularly commenting much on him not being there, and you don't see him until the very very end of the movie, and I sort of had this I had this moment of panic. It's like was is that the sacrifice? <laughs> you know, yeah. So so that was that was uh, narratively like really really well done. <laughs> Well, you know, what, what, one, of the, one of the things I find a little disturbing about Alexander's sacrifice is in, in, in burning up the home, he's also made a sacrifice on behalf of the family as well. Um, but, you know, and the other sacrifices, you, as you alluded to, though, Sam, is, you know, Otto gives him that very, uh, I, I would assume, you know, very expensive uh, gift, that map. And Otto says it's not, a, it's not a true gift without a sacrifice. And Victor, the doctor, in a sense, is sacrificing the relationship he has um, with with Adelaide uh, by going to Australia, and she, in a sense, has sacrificed Victor in order in marrying Alexander, even though she sees that as maybe a mistake, something she shouldn't have done. So those sacrifices, um, I think, are they kind of echo, although they're lesser versions of Alexander's sacrifice. Well, and I actually like the thing you point out, though, that that his sacrifice is not just him but it it has impacts on other people i mean one of the things that that comes to mind when i think about this prayer that he's praying um or and and this sort of change that that he decides to undergo i thought of two people in the history of of christianity that that we that we teach about in cwc i thought about martin luther in the thunderstorm like saying you Mm -hmm. know if you do this i will become a monk which he Mm -hmm. does he follows through on that Mm -hmm. um and you could say well luther what is he sacrificing other than stuff for himself it's like well his father has invested all of this stuff in him and, and, you know, and it's like, so he is sacrificing something that his father had put so much in, in mm-hmm. terms of his dreams for him. I also thought about um, Anthony of Egypt, right. Mm-hmm. Who goes to church and hears uh gospel of Matthew read, yep. and this propels him to, you know, sell his family estate and give the money to the poor and God into the desert. Now, Anthony's parents are dead, but I'm pretty sure Anthony has a sister. And I remember Stacy Hecht saying, well, this is great for Anthony, but like what happens to his sister? Yes. You know, so there is this thing of like these sacrifices that we sometimes even hold up is like, well, but those impacted other people negatively or potentially negatively too. So, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, those are things that came to mind when I was thinking about like, I'm fascinated by the prayers that people make in these um, moments of crisis and then people taking those things deeply seriously it's why it's why anthony has always fascinated me as a figure is somebody who really goes all in on this conviction that he has in this moment um and i think that's not necessarily a trait that a lot of human beings have but there but when it happens it's it's deeply fascinating Uh, and and I i think we are oriented to a kind of individualistic view of our spiritual lives right as though it's just a transaction between us and God, but as you're pointing out, almost anything we do is going to have a ripple effect on those around us, for good or ill. Second theme from this movie that I I loved, and it, it comes out in the the early discussion between Otto and Alexander, uh, is the idea of waiting that we're waiting for something, mm-hmm. um, and 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 you know that this. And this is where I wish I had the script in front of me again, because it's this is this is deeply interesting stuff. The way he talks about it, especially in the context of um, with something we haven't mentioned, which is Tarkovsky's basically dying while he's making this film, right? I mean, he dies soon after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. About six months later or so. 
So, so I mean, when and when I hear somebody deeply philosophically talking about waiting, it makes me think of Samuel Beckett and waiting for Godot and like waiting for this thing to happen. And this leads you to think about and contemplate the meaning. What have I done? The meaning of my life is my life wasted on sitting around waiting for something to happen. Do I make something happen? And then in this movie, like this thing, this big thing happens that, that sort of motivates uh, people into kind of reactions. And I thought that I loved how, in the when you're first watching it, not knowing where it's because I didn't know anything about where this movie was going. I was like, well, that's really interesting that they're talking about waiting and and what and not not even knowing what you're waiting for. And then all of a sudden, this cataclysmic event happens, and it's like, oh, maybe that was maybe that was the thing that they were waiting for that they didn't know was coming or something. Like I, uh, you know, and, and I think that ends up touching on sort of cold war paranoia as well. I mean, it's interesting thinking about this as a 1986 film, um, you know, we're ramping up the uh, last throes of the cold war, uh, you know, as, as we're about four or five years from the fall of the Berlin wall and the end of the Soviet union. Yeah. Um, just briefly, Sam, you, you mentioned Tarkovsky's can uh, death. He died of, of lung cancer. Um, and he actually literally kind of died for his art because he, um, his leading actor and his wife, who also acted in the film Stalker, all three of them died of the same cancer. Uh, Stalker was filmed largely uh, at an abandoned chemical plant. And so the feeling is that, or the suspicion is that um, that's how, why they, that's why they all got cancer. There, there's rumors floating that he was poisoned by the uh, KJB, um, but that seems, that seems un un unlikely. Um, yeah, that notion of this kind of, um, you know the the peripatia, this kind of uh, this kind of turning point in your life, this kind of insight or epiphany. It's interesting in the film that, that Adelaide has has her own right um, when she when she realizes when she thinks that what's happening because this is what this film is about to a large extent. How do we explain why why cosmic events happen? How are they related to us as as, as individuals? And Adelaide has this very self centered approach. She says, it's all my fault. This is, this is my punishment. And she's thinking, of course, about Victor leaving, but she's also saying this in the context of this impending war. Whereas um, Alexander sees this as a chance to kind of do something to make a change, do something to make a difference. He doesn't see it as punishment. He sees it as an, opportun as an opportunity. Third theme. Um, and this, is, a, this was a, is another big one, which uh, runs throughout the movie is this, tension between nature and like human progress or human will you know um <clears throat> and we see this uh, in lots of places but the story that he tells to maria uh you know towards towards the end of the film about the his mother's garden yes and uh is that a theme that we see in other tarkovsky films because this seems like like of all the big ideas this seems like one that that is is sort of deeply core to what Alexander is wrestling with. Yeah, I mean, Tarkovsky in general, and this this is partly a result of spending most of his life in Russia, and it's partly a result of kind of self-exiling exiling himself from the Soviet Union and coming to the West in the late 70s. He has this very um, clear sense that our civilization, and he expresses this in various ways in The Sacrifice, that our civilization is somehow really out of whack. 
that, it, that, that, that there's a, a, a great disconnect between genuine values, spiritual values, ethical values, moral values. There's a disconnect between those and between how our society is structured. So obviously somebody growing up in, uh, a, in a, a communist state with you know, material, uh, Marxist materialism can see that as a philosophical issue, but then coming to the West, he sees it as a kind of a social issue and views society as excessively materialistic. And so that we are completely out of touch with um, the sources of reality, the sources of our being. So that's part of that, that opening image when you see in that adoration of the Magi and you see the tree of life, right? That it's a weird view. It's a weird depiction of adoration of the Magi. Um, it was commissioned by Leonardo and the people that commissioned it didn't really like it. He actually never finished it. But the way Tarkovsky uses it is the camera. You have, the, you have Jesus being approached by the Magi and you have this tree in the middle. And the camera pans up the tree slowly. And then, of course, it seamlessly edits, cuts into the planting of the tree uh, by Alexander and Little Man. So I think that tree is symbolic of the genuine root of human identity and human meaning. And it's clearly coming from a relationship with God through Christ. And for Tarkovsky, there's various ways in which civilization, whether it's in our technology, whether it's in our war machinery, whether it's in our consumerism, there's various ways in which our culture and our civilization has have cut us off from that root. And that's a and that's a that's a key theme in, in a number of a number of his films. Yeah, he says um, <clears throat> that uh, there, there's a line where he says the the savages are more spiritual than us. As soon as we have a scientific breakthrough, we put it in the service of evil. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that 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 was one of those moments where I mean, that's a little bit earlier in the film. I think he's talking yeah. to I think he's talking to Victor at that point, maybe Otto. Um, I want to think about the tree at the beginning of the movie uh, in light of this. So, cause, cause the movie both begins and ends with this tree. Um, yes. uh, Alexander and little man are, are planting. I mean, it's a big tree that some of the things I read to refer to it as a sapling. And it's like, this is not a sapling. This is a huge tree that he's planting. Um, and uh, he tells this story of about a monk, uh, about two monks planting a tree. And, and there's this idea about like, if you come and do the same thing every day at the same time, that that can change the world. And the idea is that this in the story is that this monk comes and waters this mm -hmm. seems like dried up dead tree. And then eventually all of a sudden it, it blooms. Right. And then, uh, and then the, the movie ends with little man under that tree, you know, with the, the ambulance passes by and little man's laying under that tree and says the thing about in the beginning was the word. Um, what do you make of that? the significance of the story of the monk and the kind of circular coming back to that tree. And of course, little man uh, has also been hauling water just, just, just like in, in Alexander's parable. Well, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that um, Tarkovsky uh, romanticizes the medieval world because Andre Andre Rubilov has a lot of violence and, and it's clear this is a very difficult period of time, but he does see in, you know, it's, so it's not surprising he uses a monk in the story. We have the icons earlier in the film. He does see that as a, um, as a time where uh, the spiritual, spirituality, a sense of connection to God really uh, blossomed, so to speak. 
So I think that's part of what he's trying to reinforce with that opening or closing. The other thing, though, I think is important. Another kind of element of this is he has a, um, an admiration for uh, the East. Uh, and so it's significant that you hear, you hear the Japanese flute. And when he burns the house down, he puts on that house coat that has the yin yang symbol on the back. So I think there's also a sense that when he thinks about monks, yes, he's thinking about Western monks, but he's also thinking about Eastern monks. And he's also thinking about that as a culture that maybe in some ways is more in touch with the connection between um, uh, nature and God, uh, which is what the tree reinforces. And Ebert also mentioned that uh, in his review, he was talking about even the idea of planting a tree as this kind of act of faith because trees grow and live over a long period of time. So that, so that, I mean, it, it kind of um, makes me think about like, like, building a medieval cathedral that the people who start building it are likely not going to be alive to see the end of it. Or the person who plants this tree is likely not going to see this tree in its full majesty potentially. Um, uh, so there is this, this sort of faith moving. So, so it's a significant that little man is now under his father's tree and it's now his tree as well. It's also a deeply personal autobiographical gesture because just as Alexander is carried off and has to abandon little man, as you mentioned earlier, Tarkovsky knows he's dying, uh, and the film is dedicated to his son. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's another reason why that he comes back to that image. The, the father and son relationship, that's why he comes back to that image at the end as well. Uh, a few movies that this that this made me think of. Um, some of them are are probably pretty obvious and literal. Some are stranger. Uh, I thought of Doctor Strange Love with because I mean that is we're seeing the people making the decisions um, about uh, the end of time and and nuclear war and all this. And then so it made me think about that. Like oh these are the these are like these are the people on the ground. And it made me think like how. Imagine if the uh, the the threat of the end of of the world for people like Alexander is coming about because of people as silly as the people in Doctor Strange Love, you know, because we don't see them in this movie. We just know it's happening. Mm -hmm. So it, it made me think of those these two movies as a very interesting pairing. <laughs> I'm not sure Tarkovsky was thinking about that. Um, another one that that I actually really thought of you a lot and thought, oh, I want you to to talk about this was. Um, how much the levitation scene made me think of first reformed yes. um, the, the scene there. And I was wondering, uh, and I couldn't remember if we actually talked about Tarkovsky in that episode, but is that, is there a, is that a literal quote from Schrader? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, he, and even though Schrader would not put Tarkovsky among the, what he calls a transcendental style, because as you know, it's a formal rather than a thematic style. Still, it's a it's a director that I know in that scene that he's definitely quoting. So that was that was a real pleasure for me in first reform to see that. Um, another uh, sort of obvious one to think about is is Bergman uh, and Persona, especially the idea of Alexander clearly has this turning point, um, like he's just as he describes, literally on the stage while he's acting, and it made me think of the Liv Ullman character who also has this, this moment on the stage that sort of throws her into this thing where she also becomes silent. And mm -hmm. we have, uh, we have um, him becoming silent. So I actually wrote down, this is, this was one of the reasons I went to the, to the script is because I didn't pay a lot of attention to what he said about acting in the mm -hmm. moment. And then I realized later on, it's like, oh, I wish I had listened to that more because that actually 
there feels like there's something of persona in that. So, so what he says is, uh, for some reason, so he's talking about being on the stage. For some reason, I started feeling embarrassed on the stage. I was ashamed to impersonate someone else to play others' emotions. But worst of all, I was ashamed of being honest on stage. It was a critic who first saw it, but it wasn't, it wasn't sudden, not at all. And then uh, I think Victor says, so do you mean that an actor may not keep his ego intact, that he must not, that he must lose his identity? And says, no, not quite. What I mean is that an actor's identity dissolves into his roles. I didn't want my ego dissolved. There was something in the, in it that struck me as sinful, something feminine and weak. Mm. Um, and it, it, when I went back and read that, it's like, oh, now I, it actually makes me want to go watch Persona again. Um, yes. uh, because landscape wise, we're in a, uh, it's a different island, but a very similar, uh, a very similar situation. And I want to think about what are some of the things that the, that the Liv Ullman character talks about and, and think about th this seems like the moment when he's, you know, then this, this, this movie owes some things to Bergman. And it seems like that in that moment where we have another actor talking about, talking and reflecting on the meaning of acting, the meaning of becoming someone else and, and making that question who you are. Well, they had uh, Bergman and Tarkovsky had this great mutual admiration society, but they never actually met. Um, one of the stories that I heard about that I read about some years ago was that, was that Tarkovsky, you know, he was in, he was using the same studio as Bergman, but managed never to quite cross paths. It was almost as though when you have somebody that you admire so much, you don't want to meet them because maybe they won't quite live up to your expectations or you won't live up to their expectations. But this is remarkable. Here's what Bergman said about Tarkovsky. Um, he said, my discovery of Tarkovsky's first film was like a miracle. Suddenly I found myself standing at the door of a room, the keys of which had until then never been given to me. It was a room I had always wanted to enter where he was moving freely and fully at ease. I felt encountered and stimulated. Someone who was, was expressing what I had always wanted to say without knowing how. Tarkovsky is for me the greatest. The one who invented a new language, true to the nature of film as it captures life as a reflection, life as a dream. That's pretty high praise. Um, I also wanted to make a connection to some of our previous viewing. You've already done it with Persona. Uh, Persona was, as you might expect, one of Tarkovsky's favorite films. Uh, he also listed City Lights uh, and Ugetsu. Uh, and along with Bergman, some of his other favorite directors were Dreyer, uh, Kurosawa, and Mizuguchi. So he would have he would have fit right in with a video store. So Tarkovsky only makes like eight movies, right? Yeah. yeah. Is is that does he die? I actually don't know the age he's at when he dies. Does he die young? Is it a product of being in the Soviet Union for a while? Like why why does he have such a such a small filmography? Yeah, it's a combination of both. Um, I forget, he would have been, he died in 86. I think he was born in 33, somewhere along there. So yeah, he was in his 50s. So okay. yeah, he could have had a much, much more productive career. But a lot of it, yes, uh, is because he was making films in the Soviet Union and his films were not considered. He had a hard time getting his films um, approved. Uh, and even after they were approved, he had a hard time getting them distributed because they didn't meet, as you can imagine, they didn't meet the standards of the Soviet Union. So, and there are a couple examples of films that he actually started and then had to just stop because the production wasn't, uh, wasn't supported by the state. So that's why he came to the West. So yeah, if he'd lived, you know, without the cancer, he probably could have made, you know, another 20 years worth of films in, in the West. So, sure. yeah. Uh, what, one more, one more movie, uh, connection moment. And this one is real loose and 
probably so stupid that, that I shouldn't say it, but I had this thought when we see uh, Alexander wake up in the, the morning after the, I thought a groundhog day. Cause like he woke up and it was like a new day and all the problems of, of the other day were sort of like gone. And it was like a, this fresh start. And I had this moment of like, is he going to wake up and it's going to be his birthday again? Cause like, I didn't know, like if the prayer was Dude. answered, what would that look like? Did nobody know about this thing yesterday? So I, I, ha I had a moment where I thought about groundhog day as, uh, as I saw him, cause, cause he wakes up. It's like in groundhog day. He's not at home when the, when we cut away and then we see him wake up at home. So I was like, I don't know how much magic just happened, you know? Yeah, and at least one critic has suggested, um, I'm not sure how seriously, that maybe the whole Holocaust scenario was his dream. Um, I don't think that's true, but it, that's, it's one other suggestion that somebody could, could make. I feel like we should we we should talk about uh, <clears throat> two characters uh, that I have on my list that it's like, it's kind of crazy that we haven't really talked about Maria. Yeah. This seems like a like a pretty important thing because actually, when he was conceiving of this movie, he initially thought of calling it the witch, and it was going to be it was a different setup. Uh, uh, it was actually somebody dying of cancer, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, I think it's uh, Otto says that she's a witch, but the good kind. Um, we see all these images in the icons, like images of Mary. Her name is Maria. So I was, you know, I was trying to think about what that means, and then you know, that it culminates in this moment when he puts the gun to his head and says, don't kill us, Maria. Um, you know, like, like what he does to her at that moment, uh, that was just such a, a, a deeply powerful moment. And I sort of had forgotten that he grabbed the gun mm -hmm. and when he pulls it out there, like that was, uh, that was a pretty powerful moment. What's your, your thoughts on, on the, the role of Maria in this movie? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think you're right. I think I think she is a a Mary figure, and uh, and uh, all, you know Tarkovsky comes out of the Orthodox Church tradition, but you know Mary as kind of a, an, an intermediary uh, between us and Jesus or us and God. Um, and yeah, when Otto calls her a witch in the best sense, I mean the term witch is a little bit misleading. She's she's really more of a kind of a kind of a mystic. You know, so as you pointed out, there's no, I don't think there's really any paganism associated with her. Um, she lives in this, behind this abandoned church or part of this abandoned church. That's why she's got an organ uh, in, her, in, her, in her living room. So, yeah, I think I think she represents a kind of, um, I don't know if pure is the right word, but she represents a kind of spirituality, a kind of spirituality. Um, and she kind of goes along with Otto, right? Because Otto is this person who, you know, he collects all these strange incidents um, he's the one who claims at one point they've been touched by a bad angel and knocked to the ground. So they, they kind of represent what some people might, you know, classify as superstition, but which I think Tarkovsky sees as a perception that this world is much deeper and more complicated and more complex than modern life uh, would have it be. Uh, more, there's more to it than our materialistic point of view has reduced it. Which is also deeply medieval. Um, it, it's a far more medieval worldview. I mean, I, I think about uh, her as a Mary figure, and I think about the way we use the term Hail Mary in, in pop culture, right? Like, it's like the last ditch effort we're going, you know, and, and so like, it's like pull, putting the gun to his head is like a Hail Mary, too. It's like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is the last thing I got. This is my, you know, and and um, yeah, and that, uh, and Otto's the other character that it's like, <laughs> 
I'm not a fan of like sequels, but it's like, man, if they just made an auto movie, I would watch that. Like auto is the most fascinating character. Everything he says, I just like, can we, can we shift the camera over to auto a little bit more? Like when he starts to tell the story about the woman in the photograph and her son, it's like, can, can I just, can I hear more about this? The things you've encountered in life. He's the kind of person who, who, fascinates me to no end and i love that we get just a taste of him but we know that there is this type of character living in their world and i right. think that's that that's a pretty powerful thing and that he seems tapped in enough to know go to maria no he he's amazing i mean you, you have him at the beginning and he's you know he's talking about nietzsche and the eternal return and the dwarf and you think well he's he's kind of off in a philosophical bend but then he's the one that tells Alexander, um, believe that I've been given, and it'll be given to you, uh, which I think is one of the motivations behind Alexander's prayer. Uh, the other moment I love is when he presents that map, and uh, as I've already pointed out, he says it's a sacrifice, but I think it must be Victor who says, um, this Europe looks more like Mars that has nothing to do with the truth. And then Alexander says, or maybe Otto says, one of them says, our maps have nothing to do with the truth. So that map becomes kind of a symbol of how, again, it's this notion that somehow the way we perceive reality, the way we map the world, has nothing to do with the way the world truly is. Um, and and that, that, to me, is the gift of Tarkovsky, is that as, as difficult as he can be to watch at times, you feel like he is trying to get you to open your eyes to something you don't normally pay attention to. Um, I mean, the way that his films raise questions in your mind to me is is more important than any film that just gives you answers um and in that sense it is very persona like um you know it's kind of i think it's kind of inexhaustible i think you can watch these films over and over and just keep wrestling with these questions and look you know getting at them from different angles so if somebody wanted to watch another tarkovsky film what would be next on the list well, I guess it, if tarkovsky has any film that one could call accessible uh it would be solaris because Solaris, you know, it's a space, it's set in space. It has a kind of, a, it's got a little clearer bit of a plot. Um, I don't remember it having, I don't remember it being quite as slow. So I, I guess I'd go, to, I'd go to Solaris next. Fantastic. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with this movie? Um, I, 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 I want to just mention the idea that one of the roles that uh, Alexander played on the stage was Prince Mishkin. And that's Dostoevsky's uh, titular character, The Idiot. And and the idiot is uh, is a uh, is a, he's a version of a holy fool, uh, and so I love the fact that through the character of Alexander, um, Tarkovsky is embracing this idea that to be fully dedicated to God, as Alexander is in that moment of his prayer, is to be in the world's eyes foolish, and there's nothing more foolish than throwing your life away, burning down your house, exiling yourself from your family. And so it's that kind of uh, foolishness that uh, is is part of what it means for him to really kind of embrace uh, a relationship with God, even though it has a heavy cost. And I have to say, <clears throat> I looked at the po before I watched this. I looked at the poster for this movie, which has a burning house on it. You even said in the movie, it's the one with the burning house. To make sure I didn't get a different movie called The Sacrifice. And when he started to stack those chairs and put the the tablecloth over it, my daughter and I were both, we said, again, we said out loud, what is he doing? And it didn't like, somehow I had forgotten this is going <laughs> to end with this house burning down. Like I, until he lit the first match, I was like, I don't, I don't understand what his plan is here. 
Mm-hmm. And then, and then that happened, and it's it's a it's a it, that last shot is spectacular. Not the last shot, but that the the sequence of the house burning, the wide shot of him yeah. running around, and and Maria over on one side, and the ambulance, and everybody coming in. The staging of that that is a spectacular piece of filmmaking, and none of it, and everything's at such a distance. I mean, it feels like you're up on top of a hill, far away, watching this thing happen, trying to make sense of it. It's brilliant. Yeah, you're kind of and you're kind of in Maria's position because Maria is the one that you're kind of who, whose viewpoint you're kind of taking. Yeah. Wow, I loved this. Uh, I will say when I finished it, I when I finished watching it, my thought was, I'm I'm not sure what to do with this. Um, but I did say to my daughter, I have a feeling once I start reading about it and thinking about it, I'm gonna love this movie. And and I I really did. I I want to watch it again. I I want to see more from him. So I have um on my uh, on my Criterion queue, I have Andre Rublev, and then and I and I Solaris has always interested me because of my love for long, slow space movies. That I'm, you know, both both of those are things that I'm that I'm really interested in. Uh, what do you have for us for next week, Barrett? Well, I decided I wanted to do uh, one more, even though we're going to be past Easter, one more Easter themed movie, and uh, the the 2014 Irish film uh, Calvary uh, with Brendan Gleeson. Um, so, uh, I think it's an, I think it's an interesting film, very different from this film, um, kind of a black comedy, but it's got a tremendous performance by Brendan Gleeson and it raises some really interesting, uh, religious ethical questions. Fantastic. I ca- cannot wait. Barrett, uh, this was a good one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we got to watch. I know that Tarkovsky was a name that you've floated out probably since he probably comes up in our first episode as a, as a name you mentioned. And I saw so like some of those, I just know like, well, at some point he's gonna, he's gonna like un- unwrap on one of a movie like this. And, uh, this one delivered so much. Uh, and, and I will say, um, it is a movie that was made better by the conversation made better by preparing by thinking about it by letting it kind of sit with me for a while by reading some reviews about it and honestly by having this conversation it it it's uh this is a movie and which makes me feel like that's probably how i should be watching movies yeah watch them i should let them wash over me i should do a little bit of reading and thinking and i should have some good conversations i mean you know that's ideally should be true of any really good film right but i think tarkovsky in particular you want to you want to scratch your heads together and then say now what do we make of it yeah. Well, great. Uh, Barrett, thank you so much for recommending this. This is a movie I never would have watched without this podcast. Thank you so much for recommending it. And we will be back next week to watch Calvary in the video store. <laughs> <laughs>